Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Neil, what part of the brain or what determines one's personality? We have nice people, bad people, funny people, clever people. Where does that originate from? Well, it originates in a lot of different parts of the brain, of course. Um, One of the things that comes to mind to me is the premedial prefrontal cortex, which is, you know, your brain is divided into two halves, a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere. And there's a split right down the middle. Now, on the inside front of that split, split is an area called the premedial frontal lobes. And what they do find is there are differences in uh, personality types that's reflected in whether or not that area is more active or not. When they look at uh, prison populations, uh, specifically violent criminals, they'll find that people that uh, have no empathy, um, that can't put themselves in the shoes of others, um, that have no regret for violent actions or crimes, they have a, a damage to that particular area of the brain, or that area of the brain may be very inactive, where in other people that will be normal. Uh, the frontal lobes, that whole front third of the brain, you know, if you, if you take your hand and grasp your forehead, everything under your fingers is called the frontal lobes. And that's what, what scientists say controls the executive actions. It's, it's that part of your brain that allows you to think about the consequences of your actions and how you relate to people. Now, teenagers are still developing their frontal lobes, and uh, your frontal lobes aren't really fully developed until you get to about age 21 or 22. You mean biologically? Biologically, right. All right. You're still developing that part of your brain. So if you look at the, the kind of behavior that teenagers might exhibit, which might be carelessness or not thinking about the consequences of their actions, Part of that has to do not only with their upbringing, but because that part of the brain is not yet fully developed yet. So when you talk about how you relate to other people, if you're, a person is nice to other people, is considerate, a lot of that has to do with whether or not this frontal lobes area of your brain is active or not. Interesting. Now, how do you activate it? Well, that's, that's what my work has been about for the past 30 years. Sure has. Is teaching people how to get increased frontal lobes activity to happen. And that's where the phrase tickle your amygdala or clicking your amygdala comes from. And there's, there's almost endless ways to tickle your amygdala and cause increased activity in the frontal lobes. You can use, uh, you know, a very quick summary. You can do meditation. You can use music. You can use art. Uh, you know, Physical exercise will often allow the frontal lobes to become more active. You can actually use your imagination. Something as simple as imagining that you've got a feather inside your skull and you tickle, tickle, tickle those little buttons on either side (laughs) of your head and you just laugh. Now, that's very interesting because humor is computed in the frontal lobes. So... Uh, your sense of humor, to activate your sense of humor and to enjoy comedy, that will also activate your frontal lobes. So there's, there's a whole 
long list of things that you can do to to get your frontal lobes active and 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 have increased activity in that part of your brain. The main thing to remember is that your amygdala is an emotional feedback system. Nature is very smart. It wants you to use the most advanced parts of your brain because it's better for your survival. If you use more of your brain power, if you use your brain more efficiently, then your chances of survival are greatly enhanced. So the way that Mother Nature encourages you to use more brain is by giving you positive emotional feedback. That's one way to tell if you're using your frontal lobes or not. Long-term pleasure and positive emotion. Contrary to that, if you feel boredom or negative emotions, it means that your frontal lobes are not as active as they should be and that you're stuck into old reptilian brain ways of thinking. Let me ask you a little bit about laughter. When you look at people who laugh, Neil, that, that's funnier than whatever caused them to laugh. When you think of the way the human body reacts to certain things, what is laughter and where is that generated? Uh, well, the brain processes humor in several areas, but the, the frontal lobes are initially engaged because they anticipate a joke's resolution only to be fooled by a surprising punchline. So when that happens, the frontal lobes jump into action, and if they find something potentially funny, they'll let the effects of that humor proceed, and they send out an electrical wave through the cerebral cortex, which is the outside layer of the brain. And from there, the rest of the body responds with surprise, delight, and laughter, and the, the results can be anything from a mild chuckle to uh, an all-out belly laugh. And, um, uh, uh, you know, th- that, that chuckle does more for you than you might realize. Um, uh, one study at Harvard Medical School showed that laughter and humor, uh, uh, among other things, are powerful in combat- combating mood disorders. Laughter can trigger the brain's emotional reward center, like the amygdala. It can deliver doses of feel-good chemicals, such as dopamine and mood-lifting serotonins. And it can increase the release of endorphins, the pain-relieving chemicals. Our brain releases in response to such things as exercise, food, and sex. Um, now, one thing that comes to mind, that humor and its pain reduction ability. Um, One thing that comes to mind is a fellow by the name of Norman Cousins who wrote the the groundbreaking book, um, Anatomy of an Illness. Do you you recall that? I remember the book. I don't remember the guy's name. Well, Norman Cousins had an intractable uh, disease, an incurable illness, and he had something like a 1 in 500 chance of recovering. And he developed his own recovery program by taking massive doses of vitamin C, but he also spent his time watching Candid Camera and watching Laurel and Hardy films. Funny stuff. Funny stuff. He made himself laugh. And as it turned out, he recovered from this incurable disease, and he lived to the ripe old age of 75. So humor plays a very important part in, in, in how we deal with well, I, had a, I had a story last night, Neil, where optimistic people live 15% longer than people who aren't. 
Oh, yes, I've heard the, exactly that same thing, exactly that same thing. Um, uh, Robert Anton Wilson is a, is a famous author of science fiction, and he says he's an eternal optimist, and that the reason he says is that optimists are the ones that get things done, and pessimists are, not, are, are, are the ones who don't get things done. So he said, I might as well be optimistic because I've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Now, what is frontal lobe epilepsy, and how does that affect any of this? Well, frontal, I, I'm not sure about frontal lobe epilepsy. Epilepsy, of course, is a, a, a discharge of energy in the brain which upsets the normal functioning of the brain. Um, and there have been many ways to deal with this uh, over, over the years. One way that's been somewhat successful is what's called a radical hemispherectomy. And this, if this is done early enough in life, it, it is a cure for that. And what they do is they remove fully one half of the cortex, of the, of, of the, which is the outer layer of the brain. And by doing that, it eliminates this epileptic communication between the the hemispheres which are not synchronized. Now you have said that pets play a part in people's brain function as well. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, One one thing has been consistent when they look at how pets uh, relate to people. Um, By the way, I've got a little model of my Westie dog sitting on my table right now that looks at me whenever I (laughs) work (laughs) on my computer. Um, When humans and and pet dogs interact, this causes an increase in what's called oxytocin, which is the love hormone. And it's also triggered by hugging, sex, and, uh, you know, feeding babies, lactation. Oxytocin helps the brain modulate social concepts such as uh, empathy, trust, and it lets you know when you should take comfort in others. So when people interact with their pets, when pets are used in, in pet therapy, um, it causes an increase of this oxytocin. Um, I'm looking at the figures here. Dog, it says dog owners experience an average of oxytocin boost of 6% after just merely scratching and petting their canine companions. And it also causes a decrease in the levels of cortisol and if you know what cortisol is, that's a, uh, a chemical that helps, that's released when you're under a lot of stress. So if you have a lot of cortisol, that's not good for you. And pet therapy and petting your dogs, that reduces the amount of cortisol that's in your system. And as it turns out, they've measured the oxytocin level of dogs, and they in turn also show an increase of oxytocin when they're being pet and scratched by, by their owners as well. There's a, there's a lot of research that shows that pet therapy has a, a, a lot of impact on sure relieving uh, depression. Well, you know, airlines are allowing dogs on now, special handler, handling dogs for people who are uptight about flying. Oh, I haven't heard that. That's very interesting. So they're, they're coming to, to grips with the, uh, the research. Yep. Yep, they really are. What about music? How does music play a role with the brain? Well, that, that's kind of my specialty. I've of been course. a professional musician my entire life, and um, 
What's your uh, specialty? Well, excuse me? What's your specialty? Well, I play piano. I play guitar. Good for uh, you. I play woodwind instruments as well. Oh, you do it I've all. I've kind of been a jack of all trades yeah. when it comes, comes to music, but mostly guitar and piano have been my, uh, uh, my, my areas of, of greatest concentration. Uh, the, the, the newest album that, that I've released called uh, uh, The Book of Magic uh, has me playing guitar on that, so I guess I would say I'm as much a guitar player as anything. But, um, but music does have a huge role to play, I think, in people's productivity and everything else. Oh, absolutely. They found that music is one of the activities that actually engages all parts of the brain. When you look at certain activities, uh, uh, you know, like physical exercise or, or reading or, you know, other kinds of things, they don't really engage the, the full capacity of the brain that, that, that music does. And educators have been putting this to, to really good use lately. There's one project that I just heard about um, that uh, uh, is called the Harmony Project. And it's, it's involved in providing music lessons and instrument learning specifically to underprivileged kids who normally wouldn't have the resources to take up the instrument. And it's been found that a profound effect on kids who are otherwise drawn into things like delinquency and gangs. And uh, research has repeatedly shown that kids who engage in music think more creatively and critically and they perform better in school, and they're more likely to attend college. So um, it's, it's, just, it's, it's not just classical music either. It's different kinds of music have different kinds of effect on the brain as well. Well, some expert marketers, Neil, have realized that certain things trigger certain things in the brain. Yeah. So some restaurants, for example, you'll see red tablecloths and things like that. It makes you eat more. And, and in some retail stores, don't they play certain kinds of music to get you to shop more? I, I, I don't know the specific, specifics of that, but I, I would imagine that's, that's true. You know, certain, certain types of music will be exciting to you. Other types of music would be more relaxing. I would expect, and what I've seen in stores, if you go into a store that's selling, uh, you know, like a store like The Gap that's more youth-oriented, mm-hmm they're going to play music that they would expect that the shoppers would relate to and it would make them happy as well. Uh, if you were to go into a... You're not going to hear Frank Sinatra at the Gap, right? Not at, not at the Gap. You might hear Frank Sinatra in a place that's selling um, support hose. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Or something. I think it's probably marketed very specifically at, at, at the audience and... Who's shopping for what? Well, does uh, different kinds of music make you react to different things? Oh, I'd say absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, there's one common question is, you know, what kind of music is best to listen to? And uh, it, it, each type of music is going to have a different kind of effect. And I think probably your common sense would guide you. If you want to be energized, for example, you're going to listen to fast-paced music, probably music that's louder. Mm-hmm. If you want to be relaxed, it wouldn't make any sense to listen to Led Zeppelin, right, or rap music. But if you want to be energized, that would be exactly the kind of music that you would want 
to listen to. Um, so I think you can use your, your own common sense and, and intuition as to, you know, the effect of a specific type of music and how that's going to affect your performance and, and your brain. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.